This is Community in Unity, a production of Alaska Public Media's Solutions Desk. I'm your host, Anne Hillman. Many crimes are fueled by addiction. So what can help make communities safer? Providing substance abuse treatment options in prison. During Community in Unity, Recovery Behind Bars, we went inside Goose Creek Correctional Center near Wasilla to hear from inmates, staff, and other community members. They discussed substance abuse treatment inside the prison and stories of recovery. The recording has been edited for clarity and length. Lloyd Davis, an inmate at the facility, opened the conversation. So hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Lloyd Davis. I've been here about five years. Uh, people have come to know me as Doc. That's my handle here. And uh, hello, everybody. Uh, so um, I've been here at Goose Creek for almost five years. And before uh, I've had the chance to, to, before I came here, I had the chance to find recovery uh, out on the street. Uh, so I came here uh, with uh, a little bit of time that I had to do, you know, to pay for my crime. And uh, I wanted to do something positive with my life to kind of make up for all the, well, the pain that I had caused by coming to jail and, you know, uh, the time that my family had lost. So. Uh, by finding recovery and finding that there was a, uh, a way that uh, I could pay back, uh, you know, my family and society and the, the people that have cared for me, uh, I embraced it when I got here. Uh, so, and, and this place has a lot to offer people if people want to be a part of it. There's huge, uh, uh, the education department is huge. There's, uh, I was telling this gentleman here earlier, there's... Um, so many different things for people to do. I've spent my, almost my entire time here in the education department uh, and being in the substance abuse treatment program, being a mentor in it, and actually having to take the program again. Uh, I relapsed in February, uh, so I am now a student in the classes that uh, I was mentoring for three and a half years. So there's, it's, it's, there's been a lot of different uh, the dynamics of being uh, a criminal, uh, incarcerated for committing a crime, and a person in recovery trying to be open and honest. Because this side over here does not promote honesty. It says you can't be honest with anybody. This side over here, you have to be honest in order to recover. So blending the two uh, together, has been the challenge for me. Um, however, uh, I know it's possible. I absolutely know it's possible. And what, what does it feel like to be a student in the class that you used to mentor? <sighs> oh boy, so <laughs> um, that's very emotional. It's very emotional. I was that close, that close, and I gave up. After years of, literally years of, don't give up for the miracle happens, and I did. So it's very emotional. Um, I know I could do better. I know there's more that I could do. So uh, disappointing. Disappointing. Yeah, that's what it feels like. It's so nerve-wracking with this microphone in your face, you know? Why, why are you nervous? What makes well, you we nervous? Well, uh, we have members of the community here, like uh, Mr. I see Mr. Dean Williams over there. You know, I recognize him. Uh, my superintendent, I recognize him. My PO, Miss Angle. Uh, we have the disciplinary sergeant here tonight, uh, Officer Brown. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, we also have members of my peer support group, guys who are in my group in the IOPSAT program. Uh, IOPSAT, for, your, for, for you guys who are listening who don't know what it is, is the Intensive Outpatient Treatment Program here at Goose Creek Correctional Center. When I say intensive outpatient, I mean they are here to help us learn more about our criminal addictive thinking patterns. Uh, my bad, and let me start over here. My name is Jeffrey Indelicati. Uh, they call me Jersey. Uh, I am not from Alaska. I actually uh, came out here on vacation and uh, got in trouble, and I have been incarcerated since around 2009. I have a lot of experience with the Department of Corrections in the state of Alaska. My time has taken me to almost every single facility in the state of Alaska. I've seen almost every education department. I have seen almost all of the different treatment programs that are available. Uh, I want to thank the Aquila House, the Aquila program, for originally starting with the RSAT program out there in uh, Spring Creek. Uh, it was a six-month-long program, and uh, it really did help you uh, focus on what you were doing wrong and how you could better yourself and not make the same mistakes that you were making before. Uh, I also want to thank the uh, Salvation Army for providing treatment here at Goose Creek Correctional Center. What's that like for you to be in a room with both community members and then also your disciplinary sergeant? Well, you see me, I'm sweating right now. <laughs> you know? I already know that as soon as we get back to the mod, the disciplinary sergeant's gonna have something to say. <laughs> Uh, at least I don't think he's, he's all right. He's okay. Uh, but mostly it's, it's, uh, it's very nerve-wracking to see members of the community. I've not seen so many people not wearing yellow uh, in, in a while, you know. And I mean, to actually sit next to, I don't want to say real people because we're all real people, but actual members of my community that I'm going to be released back into, it's, it's terrifying. I mean, uh, thank you all for coming and showing your support for what goes on here. Um, it would be nice, you know, to see a couple more programs in the education department, maybe some more vocational education training. We have a great program here, the NISER core curriculum, the NISER program. We have a great welding program. Uh, me personally, I'm terrified to get out and not know anything about technology. I know everybody is on their phones nowadays. It's been a decade for me. Uh, the Nokia brick phone was the last one I had. You know, they had snake on it, so... I'm, I'm terrified. I mean, I, I know that the majority of correspondence is done on your phone, and I have no idea how to work that. You know, the internet, Napster is not a thing anymore. I'm, I'm just, it's been a long time. I'm, 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 uh, I'm very happy that these people are willing to give us the time, give us a chance to, to better ourselves, to, to learn from our mistakes. I mean, I've, like I said, I've been in here for a decade. I made a lot of mistakes, you know. Uh, if it wasn't for some of the people that I've met in here who have passed away, I, uh, and they, they weren't the ones that weren't lucky enough to have treatment. They were the ones who came in on pretrial and bailed out and came back in on pretrial and bailed out and passed away. Sometimes I think that actually coming to prison for my crime saved my life. Would others of you who are in here agree with the, that idea? My name is Sayada, my name is Sayada Kosick, and... I do agree, because I can honestly say that when I came back a year ago that coming back to prison saved my life, because I was at the end of my rope. Um, but when I came back, <sighs> 
and I got my time. I'm actually at the end of my sentence. I had to make a uh, decision as to what I wanted to do with this last year of my life in, car in incarceration. Like most of these people, I've done a lot of time. I have been in and out of incarceration for over 30 years. And when I walk out the doors on August 12th will be the first time that I am will no longer be under any state jurisdiction or custody. I will not be on paper uh, for the first time in over 30 years. And it scares me. It scared me and it still scares me. And not because, you know, I have my school paid for. I have a lot of good things going for me out there. I have great sober support, great family. What scares me is myself because I know what type of chaos and destruction that my pain and grief and struggles can cause. I know what kind of things that I can create inside of myself that will, that come out, that come out. You know, the last time when I caught my last case, it was not a pretty case. I was involved in a police shootout in 2012. It was very high profile and it was a mess. And even still at that point, I was so angry it took a long time for me to actually end up to decide what I was going to do and find some grounding and change and start changing my life and start identifying with things in my life and start dealing with things in my life, you know. And I realized there's a lot of great things in the system. When I came into, moved into the sober living community, it was also because I also relapsed. But when I went into the sober living community, I basically stalked down the counselors and stuff because I knew I had to do something different. I knew I needed to change and I needed to refocus. Even though when I went into the program, you know, I opted out but stayed in the living community to still be able to volunteer and be support and stuff because I still needed to be surrounded with it. The only reason I opted out of the program was because I actually wanted um, core focus on to deal with more personal one-on-one -on -one issues. And that wasn't going on at this time. You know, I really am a firm believer that in treatment, dealing with core issues is a major factor in sobriety. And I hope that somewhere along the way that they will factor that into the treatment program. Um, um, I want to go back to something that you said earlier. You said the thing that you're most afraid of upon release is yourself and your own actions. And I was wondering if either you could kind of expand upon that a little bit more or if anyone else can relate to that idea. I, I can expand upon it. Um, the thing about most addicts and most of us that are incarcerated is that we have suffered 
and have been through a lot of different traumas and griefs in our lives. And at any time, any something so trivial and small can pop up in our life. And we can turn that one little incident into a complete catastrophe. We can expand it and you know, and turn bef if, and before we know it, we're off using or we're out stealing or we're doing something, we're acting out in some way. So that also goes back to the reason why I believe that dealing with core issues and stuff is critical in our treatment, in our recovery, and in our lives, because those things are what create our triggers. Those triggers are what create us, that make us go back out. You know, one of my things, my personal issues, and one thing that I've had to identify and just face and deal with, which has been a hard thing being incarcerated, is that I am, you know, I identify as transgender. I live as a female outside. Being incarcerated for that long, and not until the past few years have they ever really done anything about, you know, in DOC as far as what you know, transgender community goes, or LGBTQ community goes as a period. Not once have I ever seen any counselors or anything that I could identify with. You know, I have never been able to say, you know, everybody can go talk to somebody. When it comes to my issues and stuff, I have nobody else that I've been able to just go and say, hey, you know, how, you know, this is how I'm feeling because they don't understand it. And so I don't get to voice that very often. It's something that I kind of keep, I kept bottled up and I had to deal with, but I just had to let myself be me, you know, regardless of anything, you know, it's gratefully in DOC, you know, I've been around a long time and I've never really had a hard time and I've always been accepted and okay with being me. But it's still, I just think it's something that for myself personally has been lacking in my life. And I think it's something that's lacking in the system that, you know, I would like to see more of, mm -hmm. you know, because I know for myself, if I would have been able to identify with the situation long ago, then things might have been different long ago. You're listening to Community in Unity, Recovery Behind Bars. This community conversation was recorded inside of Goose Creek Correctional Center on June 27, 2018. Inmates and other community members came together for an open conversation about substance abuse, crime, and recovery. That was Sienna Kasich talking about the challenges of her recovery process. Back to the conversation. Have Others had experiences like that where you, you feel like if someone could relate better to who you are, to your identity, or the struggles that you're dealing with internally, maybe it's made a difference in your recovery journey or made a difference on how you acted or reacted. Hi, I'm Tiffany Hall. I'm the executive director of Recover Alaska. We're an organization that works to reduce excessive alcohol use across the state, and I'm also a person in long-term recovery. For me, one of like the way that I got into recovery was by hearing essentially my story at the first AA meeting I ever went to. That's how I 
I tried a lot of different ways to get sober and I was successful for short periods of time, but never anything that really stuck. Um, even though a number of pretty negative things had happened to me and that I had done that caused me a lot of shame, I still wasn't really ready to admit that I could not uh, tolerate alcohol kind of in any form until I went to a meeting and I heard somebody else share my story. And that's kind of the thing that changed for me in my life. And I used to just feel really alone and feel like I was just a really bad person and that I was just bad at making decisions or like something about me inherently chose the bad decision. Um, I didn't understand that I was a sick person and it wasn't until I found rooms full of other people who had done the same things or the same things had happened to them and um, could relate with you know, a lot of my normie friends would just tell me to moderate better, and that's not a thing that I can do. And it wasn't until even years into my recovery that I finally heard somebody explain it in a way like, oh, you know, I had a, two drinks and I started feeling tipsy and that's what I liked and that's when I stopped. And I was like, oh, <laughs> weird. Like that is not a thing I can relate to. Uh, and Or even that maybe I wanted, but I didn't always have control over. And so... It wasn't until I realized that I wasn't a bad person. I just wasn't hanging out with people who were like me in that way um, that I could kind of take a step back and start making the changes I wanted to see in my life. Hi, my name is Wayne Hossman. I'm from Anchorage, Alaska. Uh, I've been down for only a year now. However, this is my third time being a felon. And all my felonies started with drug use. Um, I always thought to myself, I was always great at holding a job and making a lot of money. I mean, there's been months where I've made near $14,000 a month. And, you know, it doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter who you are, what you do for it. You either find trouble or trouble finds you. You all, you can still relate in the same category as a lot of users. Uh, I, however, when I, I, I lose many jobs because of my drug use and, uh, I would resort to uh, stealing things and uh, trying to do scams and heists and all that. Like I, I, I'm in for uh, vehicle theft and forgery and theft too. And you know, it was anything I could get my hands on to get what I needed. And you know, looking back on it now, it was very stupid. It was very foolish of me and childish because I did not put my family first. I did not put my friends first. I didn't put anybody first, but my drug of choice, my use. And even though I was high then, I look back on it and say I really wasn't that guy, but I was then. And I'm glad that there's a lot of programs this place has to offer because even when I came in 12 months ago, I was like, you know, I'll get out and I can go back to using just moderately. But until now, I've I opened up my eyes several months ago and taking uh, part of the treatment and all that and now I'm just trying to pretty much save myself from myself and I've really taken into consideration that I can't do that lifestyle when I get back out of here. What caused that switch? Like what made you start thinking about things differently? The minute I entered treatment I was in denial and I'm like you know this ain't for me. I shouldn't even be doing this. This is stupid. So why join? because I thought I would actually step into it and give it to it, at least give something a chance. 
finally I did it after all these years. And you know what? It's it's looking, I mean, at least I keep telling myself it's, it's looking good. And I just can't wait till the day I get out of here, then, then I can really challenge myself and stay sober as long as I can. And uh, I, I agree with uh, Jersey over there about people bailing out and not making it. This, this time I'm in right now, I caught a burglary case a couple years, uh, two and a half years ago. I spent almost $10,000 to bail out and I went on the run. I, uh, I said, you know what, they can, they can have my money because I'm not going to jail. I was on the run for a year and five months. I, can't, I ended up, uh, my, drug, my, my drug use had me uh, doing stupid things like using dirty needles. I got a, a blood infection and a heart infection. I was septic and I had endocarditis. I went to the emergency room one night. I had four doctors come to me and tell me that I was going to die. I was not gonna make it. And 85% chance was if I did make it, I would have to have heart surgery. I, it was a miracle. I made it. I couldn't get out of my bed for two and a half months. I was hooked up to an IV system. And that was because of my, my drug use. Even though it's sad that I had to be incarcerated first before I would be able, was able to stop. But I'm here now. And all I got to do is keep my head up high and think to myself, I made it. Hi. My name is Sid and I'm an alcoholic. I, uh, I mentioned that because, uh, uh, you know, I've, I've been very fortunate. I've, I've been working in the uh, Anchorage Correction uh, Education Department, helping guys get their GED and stuff like that. And I really applaud what's going on out here, as little as I've found out so far, you know. Um, and I am very fortunate. Uh, uh, it's been over 41 years since I had my last drink. Um, and, and I really agree with what I've been hearing, and that is that uh, I had to get desperate. There was, you know, I really do. I wish desperation on people. <laughs> and, yeah, um, it's, it's a whole lot of years before, uh, since I spent any time in, in jail. And the most at one time was Seattle King County for 100 days. But I got feeling kind of like... Uh, I belonged in jail. And uh, so, yeah, it didn't matter about my family or anything else, uh, work or whatever. Um, alcohol was it. And uh, so I really am I'm very grateful to 12-step programs, and that's what I've got to add. My name's Lance Haynes, and I am the uh, Rantry Peer Case Manager for uh, Coconut Tribal Council. I am five years sober. I'm always, I'm also five years um, back into life. You know, I'm a felon. I did my time, I did my crime, and I know exactly what a lot of you guys are talking about. And that fear of being off paper is excruciating. That look of trying to see that, that, phone, that, that phone when you've never picked one up. When I got done, I remember, pu I remember push buttons. You know, that was the last phone that I was working with. So it's very interesting to come out into a life that is so radically different. And it's not so much that it's different on shaking people's hands, but try and find a, try to walk into a place and get a job. It doesn't work like that in our world today. 
Um, try to go ahead and log on to a computer when most places don't have computers anymore. You're doing all of this on your phone. What? So a lot of times I have found that the basic needs today are basic living skills in our world today, which is some of the things, the things that I try and work with in my program. And I like to look at is, you know, when we're, when we're down or on the streets, when we're on the inside, what do you want to, whatever you want to call it, I learned my best how to survive. Well, it's taken me the last five years to learn how my best how to live. And that's the job. That's the important part. You know, I can go back out there anytime. I could walk out of this building right now and be who I was and go back to survival. But I'm not doing it again. It took 30 years of my life. And uh, it, it, it doesn't, the world does not deserve that of me anymore. Um, so what I've learned to do is I got my, I reached out. I started working over it. I started doing some work over Partners for Progress, um, some volunteer time. My last, um, my last deal was instead of doing two years, I went through therapeutic courts and I graduated felony wellness court. And through that, I got onto their alumni group and I become a board member. And then I started working in the community and I volunteered everywhere I could. I started speaking at the victim's impact panel for, for this, uh, um, uh, uh, group that's put on by ASAP for anybody that's had a DUI. You have to go to this for your first time DUI. So I would go and speak to these things. I got to know the community. I started to learn the community because the best thing I could do was not only help the community, but remind myself why I don't want to go back. So when you talk about going, I loved hearing that you had peer support here. And a lot of that is just you guys staying, sticking together because being honest about your recovery in this is not easy. You know, I was just talking to a friend of mine on my way here. How many people do you know would take a bullet for you? But exactly how many people could you cry on a shoulder for or with? It doesn't exist. That's not the reality. So it's a whole other mindset. And that's what I like to try and help my, you know, people in reentry get to come back out and be a human being, not the number that you're in your head over. We get trained to be a, head, a number in our minds. And that's the unfortunate part of this system. The system is what it is. The system is in place to, you know, I, I did my problem, I did my crime, I did my time, and I know that I deserve to do what I did, to do the time that I did. But after that, I had to change my way of thinking so that I wasn't just survival and I wasn't, I wasn't OPSIS number, dun, 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 dun. I'm wondering if people in the audience or any of you all can talk about kind of what you've done to help change your thinking and to maybe start living as opposed to just surviving. Good evening, everyone. Uh, my name is Ismael Lopez. Uh, the thing that I've done to change my thinking was completely separate myself from me. To take a closer look um, at myself you know, deep down at me. Um, How do you do that? Like, like uh, this gentleman said, it's not easy. You, I mean, taking a complete inventory of yourself and what you've done, what, what you've been through, um, choices that you've made, it, it's, it's hard. It, it's one of the hardest things to do. Um, and the only way to do that is to be completely honest. Like, you know, we, we've heard tonight, you have to really dig into yourself, into the, your, 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 
you know, way deep down into your own self and take accountability for for everything. Um, this gentleman down here was saying he w he w he would steal and rob for anything to get his high, and that reminded it reminds me of everything I've done. I've I've stolen um, from everyone. My my wife, my my mom, my dad. Um, I've I've stolen from a anybody and everyone. Um, I remember the first time setting up a sixty-something-year-old guy to rob him. Um, physically hurt this guy for sixty dollars and. After that, thinking, man, this could have been my dad. Somebody else could have did this to my dad, and I, I never did that again. But <clears throat> the same thing you, when I was in that thinking pattern, I didn't care about who I was hurting. So to literally, you know, just separate yourself and take a real good look at what you're doing and take responsibility for what for everyone you've hurt and why. Um, and there's really no excuse why. It's just selfish motives, uh, instant gratification. Um, I have stolen, like I said, so much from my mom. I've gotten physical with my mom, you know, uh, abusive. I became abusive with my ex-wife. Um, as I said before, I had robbed my stepson's Christmas present at one point to buy a $10 bag of, of uh, meth. Since, since you've started cataloging these things for yourself, since you started looking inward and trying to see who you are, have you gone back to talk to your family about it? Are you I've made my amends. Um, there was a time where they gave up. There was a time when I gave up. That was the reason why I've used for the last 20 plus years. Um, I had no hope. I thought everybody was literally just uh, had no hope for me. Your family will always tell you, you can do it. We love you. In a sense, it's kind of their responsibility to kind of uplift you in that way. Of course, they do get tired at some point. Having all you guys here tonight, everybody here is just an awesome feeling knowing that, you know, the, these, these people aren't even related to us. And they drove out here to literally share their stories, to hear us, and to hear what we've started doing to kind of change that thinking pattern that we were in. and. This to me is a major blessing. Just it, it lets me know that the community out there does care, and I've always thought that you know I've always felt labeled because one I'm a felon, I'm this horrible person who's repeatedly just breaking the law, and there are people that frown on me for being who I was. But like I said, this shows me that there are people out there in the community who do really care. And that I think this is awesome.
That was Ismail Lopez, an inmate at Goose Creek Correctional Center near Wasilla. You're listening to Community in Unity, Recovery Behind Bars. The conversation was recorded inside Goose Creek with inmates, staff, and other community members on June 27, 2018. Uh, my name is Chris Davis. Um, so for me, it was a, uh, I had really horrible self-esteem when I was a kid. Um, I was shy, and I didn't feel like I fit in in a lot of places. So for me, it was the, the least common denominator. I, I gravitated towards people that didn't have a real high expectation of me, um, kind of the outcasts. And um, if nobody holds the bar up high for you, it's easy to meet that. So I hung around with people that didn't expect too much of me, and it was easy to meet you know, their expectations. If people expected more of me, then I was worried I might not be good enough. If I tried and I failed, then that made me a failure. So I just didn't try. I gravitated towards people that looked at you know, life the same way as I did. Self-pity. Uh, and the more I felt sorry for myself and the crowd that I hung around with, eventually you know, it became uh, in order to get out of that, that feeling of uh, you know, that, that misery, drugs and alcohol help, help fill that void. And uh, it went from you know, being a good time to uh, being way too much. And I did a lot of stupid stuff uh, back in the early 90s I got in a car wreck and nobody got hurt except me I was driving a friend's car I totaled it um, he didn't have insurance on it the cops never showed up I basically got away with it scot-free but I broke my collarbone I was off work I was beat up pretty bad so everybody knew that my drinking had finally caught up with me and caused me a serious problem and that was kind of my wake-up call that things are getting out of control so I decided I'm done I went and I did AA on my own nobody forced me to do it and I stayed sober for over six and a half years. I even ran a big book meeting for a couple years. Um, things turned around for me. Life was great. Uh, I got married. I bought a house. My credit was great. Everything was looking good. So then it got inconvenient to do AA, and I started having resentments. Well, all these people are coming here, and they're not getting anything out of it. And, and I got, gave myself reasons why I didn't need to do that anymore. So I stopped doing AA. I hung around with my, my wife and her family. And they were drinkers, and it started to look fun, and the less I associated with the crowd that was my sport network, and the more I associated with the crowd that was made the old lifestyle look fun, uh, I slipped back into that. So, uh, short story, uh, long story short, it was um, about 15 years I lived that lifestyle again, knowing that there was an easier way out, and things got worse and worse and worse. Uh, I got a DUI. That didn't stop me. I knew there was a way out, and I kept at it. Eventually, I ended up divorced, and, and here I sit, man. I'm, things just completely got out of control. So the getting in the car wreck was my first bottom. Coming to jail for a long stretch of time this time was my second bottom, and this is one of those. Uh, I lost everything. I was worried about all these excuses that I used to drink over, you know, my marriage fell apart. Uh, how am I going to pay my mortgage now that I have this house on my own? I'm overwhelmed by all this stuff. So instead of looking for answers, I turned to drugs and alcohol. I hid from my problems, and they got worse and worse and worse. Well, I came to jail. All my problems are gone now. Everything got taken away from me. So I got nothing left but myself. I caused the problems. I'm left with the mess. So I'm here working on that. And the big thing that I learned was, uh, man, when you go through life, they teach you how to deal with everything around you, but nobody teaches you how to run what's going on in your head. I was always so busy pointing out what everybody else was doing and how it affected me. I never really stopped to look at what I was doing and how it affected everybody else around me. 
So by coming here and having all that stuff taken away, my family's gone, I have nothing except myself. So that's all I have to work on is myself. And the big relief for me was discovering all I'm responsible for is taking care of myself. If I quit worrying about what everybody else is doing and just take care of me, which is a full-time job in itself, that things go so much smoother. I don't have to, I mean, I still get pissed off when things happen that I don't like, but then I can look at why it bothers me so much. Everything in the world is going to go on exactly the way it did before. The only thing that's changed is me. Uh, the same things are going to happen out there that got me upset before, but I don't have to let them get under my skin anymore. And I've been involved in the treatment program in prison now for since uh, fall of 2013. 13, I believe. So once I did the six-month program, I've been mentoring or peer support that they call it now for almost four and a half years now. And that's kind of like my A. It's my, it's my way to give back. I, I stay involved. I try and point the way for other people and say, hey, there is an easier way. Uh, it's helped keep me out of trouble. I have five and a half in years in jail now, and I don't have any write-ups. So I'm, I'm kind of proud of that. And I had a good stretch before of sobriety and I'm trying to outdo that this time you know it's it's once you get that time built up if you if you slip one time you have to start all over again and I don't want to go through that again so I'm Christiane Joy Allison I am an author and an activist for criminal justice reform um, I got exposed to the incarceration system when my husband was wrongfully convicted in 2015 so we've had the very strange roller coaster of ending up exposed to um, a lot of how things work um, when it was not something that we even saw coming. And um, one of the things that I have concern about and that I've wanted to um, just basically ask the question about is that um, uh, for me, a lot of what I've tried to communicate, and I know my husband has tried to communicate to those that he's with, um, is that there is hope, and there is, and there are programs, and there are lots of things that are accessible, um, but it's really, really hard to get all of that information to everybody, um, and to make sure that folks know what is accessible, what programs they can have, and, and what connections there are on the outside to, to give you that chance. Um, and one of the things that I have seen fall through the cracks um, relates to literacy specifically. Um, and I've done a lot of research into it, and there's, it's not uncommon just outside of Alaska and other states that um, illiteracy frequently goes unidentified. Um, and in, in my experience, uh, my husband had a celly for a while that was driving him nuts because he was up all night long and he was making noise and, and my husband's light sleeper and so keeping him awake. Um, and it took three or four weeks before we figured out that this man um, was hiding the fact that he couldn't read. Um, and he did not have any court-ordered um, program that he needed to participate in or was required to participate in, but he was desperately trying to apply for one out of state to go as a live-in program um, when he was going to be released because he was going to be released soon. Um, but he didn't know how to read the paperwork um, and to fill out what he needed to do to be able to do that. And so once he identified what the problem was, you know, we started working with him and my husband started showing him how to use a dictionary and how to, to work his way through this. But um, I've, I've heard in, in other experiences and in other forums that that is frequently one of the most unidentified problems in getting information to people is because of that. As somebody mentioned, honesty, um, those who can't 
read or don't have the literacy that they need aren't going to admit that in a room full of people nine times out of ten. So um, just I have that concern in myself and making sure that those people are identified and that they are, you know, given the care that they need to actually get access to what they need. So. Um, well, we try very hard to identify individuals who need assistance in um, the English language, assistance reading, writing. We value that. We know it's important. We do want to see that. Um, we, we need, you know, it's difficult to identify people who don't, you know, tell us. And <clears throat> we need everybody in the, um, in the institution to keep an eye out for those things and to try to um, help identify those individuals and get them the services they need. Uh, by the way, I am uh, Probation Officer Angle. I do run education and programming here at Goose Creek. And um, we do have a ESL program. We do have a literacy program. We have a GED tutor um, who is staffed by volunteer inmates who have either completed their GED or have secondary education and who want to give back to the community here at Goose Creek. Um, so uh, we do often go out into the yard during meal services, during rec, during events, try to talk to individuals and, and inmates here and try to identify people who could really benefit us uh, or benefit from our services. Uh, we do a lot of... Um, we try to do a lot of inreach, and you know, I, I try to go in there and try to, you know, uh, strong arm people to come see me in education. <laughs> As a, uh, do you want to come to events? Come to a class. How many how many uh, family members do you want to come in? How many classes do you need to do? Um, so we, I try to to motivate. Uh, uh, um, the residents here at Goose Creek as much as I can to join in an education and program and uh, in any capacity, whether it's as a student or, you know, as somebody who's um, teaching others. So my name is Mark Weaver and I'm the vice president of Fallen Up Ministries and a board member of Real About Addiction and I'm also a peer support specialist at CITC and I'm a person in long-term recovery from substance use disorder. and. Um, I'm a person that's no stranger to handcuffs either, and I've been in trouble, you know, um, for for much of my life. And you know, for me, <clears throat> you know, the the courts didn't hear me. You know, um, the jails didn't didn't um, help me recover <laughs> personally. And um, you know, uh, my ex-wife being difficult didn't help. It wasn't you know my parents lecturing me. It was other people that, with lived experience, that really showed me how to live my life differently. People that invested in my life um, for, at the time, for no apparent gain, right? No apparent reason. But um, that's what really took fruit in my life and, and helped to set me on that, that path to recovery. And that's what keeps me on that path to recovery. I'm very active in the recovery community. And I hear, you know, I've heard that there's peer support within this facility. Um, I think where we could do um, places that we could do better is that if we could um, have more connections being made with people while they're incarcerated of people in the recovery community to help you know um, identify and problem solve some of the issues that we've spoke about in this conversation and um, that way those you know, it's time, it's time spent together where we develop that trust and um, to where, you know, we, where we do reach out and be honest with each other. And so I think that's just one area that we could really uh, strengthen is have, you know, more people in the recovery community doing inreach and being allowed to do inreach because as you heard, some, you know, many of us in the recovery community have barrier crimes. 
and you know the variance process is pretty it's it's if, if you've never been through it <laughs> it's it's massive and so some of the best experts in the field of living recovery aren't allowed to teach other people to live recovery because they will go to jail for having those conversations and so um really the, uh there's, there's, you know, I, I applaud what's going on here, and I'm thankful that we have a commissioner that is very um, open to doing things different, thinking outside of the box. I'm James Joy. I'm a um, recovering alcoholic and drug addict. Um, got a little over five years of sobriety and clean time, and um, I'm just traveling with uh, Mark tonight, hanging out with him, staying clean and sober. Hey, that's what we do. It's what we do, we, we hang out with people that don't use. You're listening to Community in Unity, part of Alaska Public Media's Community Dialogue Series. The event was open to the public and was recorded at Goose Creek Correctional Center on June 27, 2018, with staff and inmates. Um, my name is Christopher Pedswick. Uh, I have a question for everybody here who's not wearing a uniform. Um, all right, let me start. I, uh, I'll be getting out on the street here within a few months, and if you Google my name, it's gonna tell you a lot of things that is not me. And so now, I plan on being your neighbor, your coworker, your friend, your bowling partner. I mean, I plan on being sober, and I don't know how to explain to you that that's not me. And so that's one of my issues right now. All right, my name's Andy Jones. I work for the state. Uh, I'm the guy who helps coordinate at a state level kind of the response to, as you guys have probably heard, the epidemic. But I liked your question that you asked about, like, this isn't who I am, even though it's a piece of paper. And um, I wouldn't, I've had my own run-ins with the law. 20 years ago, almost to this week, you know, Wildwood was a close friend of mine. And so... I know what it's like, but sometimes we forget, you know, and, and you're right, a, a piece of paper shouldn't define us. And so the way I kind of got myself back into understanding the individual um, was a good, a good friend of mine um, who tat started tattooing on me. And I got to learn who he was and what he does and how he's helping the community. And sometimes we, we make mistakes even afterwards, but that doesn't define who we are. And this individual opened my eyes, you know, because I kind of was in a world of in enforcement myself. And so he changed the mindset. So when I travel around the state and we're in these town hall meetings, people ask, would you want this individual living next to you? Would you want them to be watching your kids? And I've got to be honest with you. I look back and pretty much always say, heck, yeah, these guys, these gals are some of the most dedicated people I ever met. They made mistakes in their life. But you guys come out and you'll do anything, just like I did, kind of, to, uh, to change who I was, to change my name. Like, I'm not that guy. It took me 15 years before I went back to my community because of the shame I put on myself. So I've learned a lot from you guys, and I think I want to just kind of wrap up for myself saying that the reason I'm here tonight is because we focus so much on our community outside of the walls, but this is a community also, and so we need to also start listening to you guys and define what's working, what's not, and how we can make it even more successful for when you guys do come out and you become formally incarcerated, that transition is way smoother. So, um, man, don't let a piece of paper define who you are and don't let the people 
who may be those naysayers get you down because, man, you guys are rock stars when you get out, when you're leaving that clean lifestyle. And you're more than welcome to come wrap yourself around by my house. I got a lot of land and I'll tell you, yeah. So, yeah, so I thank everything you guys do and I learned a lot from you guys, so thank you. First of all, I wanna thank uh, Department of Corrections and Alaska Public Media for putting this on. I also wanna thank everyone who has spoken tonight with um, frankness and with courage. I really have um, been moved by what I've heard. Um, why I'm here is uh, because uh, I came to learn. Uh, I, uh, I think part, part of this, I might ramble, so I apologize, is I understand the need for individual responsibility. But I also understand the need for group responsibility and community responsibility. We're all in this together. I get that. And to, to answer the gentleman's question over here, you know, what can be done? I think more of these types of things, these types of forms where we remember that the folks inside this facility are somebody's brother, somebody's sister, somebody's aunt, uncle, whatever. We're all family. And sometimes we forget that and we get away from that. And it goes to what I just heard from that gentleman is that uh, we need to remember, once again, that we're one community. We need to work together and find solutions. And it doesn't help to um, just come up with caricatures and things. Thank you. So on that note with solutions, are there things that are really working and th or things that aren't? I'll talk about, you know, I work a program of recovery through mm -hmm. an anonymous mm -hmm. program that I'm not supposed to name, but, uh, you know, there's lots of 12-step programs out there, mm -hmm. and um, it, it gives me structure. It, it, it led me to, it led me to people that I did it, I never could walk into somebody's office that had this big fancy degree and get help. For some mm -hmm. reason, there's a barrier there. But somebody who was out there, you know, and used like I used, um, I could connect with. And um, so getting involved in a, um, a home group, per se, um, a 12-step program, and um, they kind of become your family, you know. And uh, that's how I did it. That's how I got five years. It took me 12 years to get five, <laughs> but I got it. But you got it. I got it. My name is uh, Chris Turner. What worked for me is uh, kind of what he's talking about. You, the people who I started treatment with, you start with a group of people. You get to know them. I mean, in the beginning, I'm like, I don't need this. Your pride and your ego is all in the way of trying to do what your mind tells you is the right thing. Then you get around these same people, doctor. Chris there, you know, who I was in group with, hold you accountable. Even our teacher there, she's one you try to just put out a little bit, she's gonna call you on. <laughs> she's, not, she's not having any of that. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and those are the things that worked for me, personally. It's, it's um, you think no one understands, no one's been through the same thing, but after hearing everybody's stories, they're all similar, they're all the same. I mean, different details vary, but we're all, have been through a struggle to try to change and have a common goal of staying objective, with with be sobriety, and just big changes or little changes. It's uh, the group thing. I'm speaking as a foster mother, an adoptive mother, a um, person who's been in and out of working with 
all kinds of people, sometimes as a friend, sometimes as a wife. I know <laughs> he's wonderful. <laughs> but, but after having a lot of experience with many people who had been through many different kinds of things, and what I found fairly early was that there was nobody that I ever met that didn't have some really strong things about them. But I met lots of people also that beat themselves up a heck of a lot more than they did seeing good things about themselves. What makes, what makes us want to change is this right here. Showing that, because we spend a lot of our lives thinking that people don't care. And here we have today, we have our POs, our substance abuse counselors, our superintendents, our sergeants that are, are off work, or our, you know, the commissioner and stuff, sitting in this room and people from the community are here for us to show us that we care. And I know from my vast DLC history that this doesn't happen. You know, this is not something that happens. And it's amazing to see this. And I so wish that so many more of us would be involved. But, you know, I'm just grateful that everybody is here because that shows us in our hearts that they really care. I've seen P.O. Angle just this week spend more time, I think she lives here. <laughs> <laughs> You know, because she's here like all the time and she has done, put together so many different things that I have got to be a part of. And it's like, it's amazing, you know, and the superintendent is always there too. I think he lives, they both live here. <laughs> and it's, it's amazing to see the things that they have put together for us just to show us that they want to see us change, that they, ca that they really care. You know, and that's just the one thing that shows us that we want to change and that makes us want to change and warms our hearts and shows that, that people that don't really have no reason to care. Um, hi, I'm Mary Havens. Um, I come from an incest family, sexual abuse, domestic violence. My son is a crack cocaine addict. He's never been incarcerated. He's done terrible things. But what he did affected my life but I'm also here to tell you that what affected his life was what happened in his bringing up. He says, oh mom, nothing that happened in my life had anything to do, or none, none of the bad things that I did had anything to do with how I was raised. I know what he was, how he was raised. I know his story. I know that there are people in our communities all across our world who are hurting. And I know that it comes from childhood. It comes from the way you were raised. It's the core of where you began. And I understand that. But what I would like to see, and maybe you already have this in your program, is allow people to write. Oprah said, don't say what's wrong with you, but what happened to you? And I, that question comes up every single day since she said that. So this is an opportunity, if you can have a writing program, for each of these people to write about who they are and what happened. Let's look at our children. Hi, my name is Laura. I'm a social worker and I work with homeless individuals. Um, going back to issues, things that are, you know, plaguing our difficulty of recidivism. Um, 
the biggest thing is accessibility. And I know that each of you is facing this struggle of, of getting out and then what do you do then? And there's all this red tape. It's hard enough to just be a person living out there without having a criminal record, without having to go to probation meetings, without having to do, you know, UAs. But that makes this that whole level even harder. So I just want to just give a shout out there that, you know, don't give up. I know that there's all this red tape. There's so much paperwork. There's there's so many, you know, the buses you have to take to get to these programs that are going to help you. And it can become extremely frustrating. It can become overwhelming. Even, you know, as it's my job, I become overwhelmed with all the phone calls with the DPA, with all the phone calls with the state. It becomes hard. But don't forget that there are people out there that are ready to help you, that it's, it's in our hands to help you fill out the forms, to make the phone calls, to make the appointments. So... Do not become frustrated. There's so many programs in Anchorage and there's so many programs in Alaska. There's so many programs out in the Valley of people that are ready and willing to help, that are ready and willing to be there, that are that are open to, to help you. You know, like I said, filling out just forms alone is so overwhelming. So just never give up in those situations and always be ready to reach out to people. There are people that it's, it's our job to help all of you. And that's what we're here for. That's what we want to do every day. So never be afraid to ask for that help. <laughs> okay, so I'm Janice Weiss and I'm the um, coalition coordinator for the Matsu Reentry Coalition. And the common goal for the coalition is to bring together the community that is on the outside with the community that is on the inside. Um, I'm a retired person from the Department of Corrections and one of the things that I always said was the walls were there to keep people on the inside, not to keep people from the outside coming into the inside. So I think that's just a really important difference to look at um, and to understand that um, as the person who just spoke said, there are many people out there who do wanna help you um, when you are released and even before you are released. Um, and then, you know, you're probably not the most popular group of people on the outside. And so when I go around and I'm talking with, with community people and they know that I'm working with reentrants, some of them just turn their back because that is not who they want to hear about. That is not um, who they want to spend their time and their, their limited resources helping. Uh, so one of the things that, that we have to do in order to talk about reentry is to talk about creating fewer victims. Victims are out there and we do have to talk about them. We do have to include them in the work of recovery and in the work of uh, helping reentrance. I think that's something we can never forget, that that community has suffered because of whatever it is that you're here for. And making those amends is very important and talking about them with the community who does want to help you is very important. So coalitions are, are good things. So um, I hope to see many of you um, when you're being released. That was Community in Unity, Recovery Behind Bars. It's part of Alaska Public Media's Community Dialogue series, brought to you by The Solutions Desk. I'm Ann Hillman. The show was recorded by Aaron McKinstry with help from Goose Creek's audiovisual team. Special thanks to the inmates, staff, and community members who participated in the event, and P.O. Sarah Engel for making it possible. You can listen to the entire program and other Solutions Desk stories at alaskapublic.org slash solutions. Thanks for listening.